Wasn't that great just to be in the presence of God together? And we're going to think a little bit more now about this idea of confusing images, about the fact that actually it's really hard to tell what's real or imaginary and to see what the Bible has to help us with that. And uh, the movie is Alice Through the Looking Glass. Couldn't manage that for you today, so we have Alison and a looking glass. (laughs) Do you like that? (laughs) Which is... is, Don't worry, angled towards me, so it's me that's going to be off-put rather than you, because we thought if we faced it towards you, you might find yourselves kind of preening. (laughs) I didn't like to say, Simon, but if you're going to out yourself. Okay. Have you you ever looked at yourself in a mirror? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously you have, because you've scrubbed up all very nicely this morning, and you've brushed your hair, and you're wearing matching clothes, most of you. (laughs) I'm really joking, you look great. Um, No, I mean, have you really looked at yourself in a mirror? What did you see? How did it make you feel? I once went to a retreat where we were encouraged to sit in front of a mirror and to look into our own eyes for five minutes. Have you ever done it? Try it sometime. It's absolutely freaky. It will completely send you a bit bonkers. And I found myself looking at myself thinking, who are you? Is this really the person that you've been for the last X number of years? And for some people, looking in the mirror is a really enjoyable experience. We love it. And after all, we live in a selfie culture now, don't we? Uh, Lots of us take selfies where we go everywhere. Um, Leon had a great gift for his birthday, actually, which was fabulous, where somebody had done a frame and they put lots of pictures in of all all of his selfies from around the world, (laughs) which was really good. And he's really photogenic, so it looked great. But for others, perhaps a bit more like me, you don't really like looking at your own image very much. It's quite uncomfortable. And some of us just aren't very photogenic. You always seem to be doing the wrong thing when the camera goes. Any of you like that? You're blinking or you're talking or you're doing something strange with your face and you just think, how did that happen at the moment the image is captured? And remember the video about youth culture that we showed a few weeks ago when the young people talked about just how long it took and how many images they had to take before they actually found the right one. Hours spent in front of the mirror trying to capture the perfect look. But the reality is we are not static objects. We're people. We live, we move, and we change constantly. And for many of us, we'll find what we see in the mirror quite confusing whether it stays at the level of, what was I thinking when I put this outfit on this morning? It looked all right in the shop. (laughs) Or whether we look at ourselves and start to think, where's the young person gone that I used to be? Or perhaps it's more at a philosophical level. Maybe you look at yourself in the mirror these days and you think, who am I? What have I become? What is it that other people see when they look at me? For some of us, we resolve this issue by just not looking in the mirror at all. Perhaps the most effective strategy for avoiding the confusion it creates. But have you ever wondered what's on the other side of the mirror? Like Alice in the clip we showed earlier. Is there another perspective from which we can view life? Is there some way of managing and responding positively to the constant flow of images that we face in our modern culture? Well, the Bible talks about mirrors and reflections. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 13, the words will come up on the screen now. I'm just going to read it through for you. 
Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows, now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. You know, our Heavenly Father has been incredibly gracious to us. He knows us and he understands that we struggle to understand the world within which we live. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us. And one of the ways he does that is through the gift of prophecy. But he's also given us words of special knowledge. And these gifts are in addition to our human intellect and natural abilities, which are also part of God's design which he gave to us. I was having a conversation with our son Josh earlier in the week and we were discussing some of the advances in medical science that are so groundbreaking, they sound like the stuff of fantasy. And these, of course, have increased at an exponential rate since the technological advances made in recent years. But without a moral framework, they carry a significant risk. The image of a future where unmanned machines undertake increasingly complex tasks feels risky. But the development of cars that can drive you to hospital when you're too ill to drive yourself sound amazing. Did you see that in the news this week? Guy got taken ill, and he said to his car, take me to the nearest hospital, and it did. And he was alive as a result. Now, that sounds incredible, but the previous option sounds a bit scary. It's confusing. And we often hear expert advice which completely contradicts other expert advice. Here's a few. Should we be eating less fat or less sugar, or just less? <laughs> Is butter better than margarine? What about olive oil? Is it better to be slightly underweight or slightly overweight? Is it better to drink diet soft drinks or the full sugar version? And how many units of alcohol in a week is too many? It's really confusing, isn't it? These are just a few questions to which there's been a whole bunch of conflicting research and advice that's been offered over the years. And the effect can be absolutely paralyzing. We either attempt to comply with a baffling range of recommendations, some of which might prove invaluable, some of which turn out to be complete rubbish. And then we feel all disappointed and upset. Or do we choose to disregard all the research available and follow what we perceive as our own common sense? And what informs the development of our own common sense, our own perspective? Often it's just our own interpretation of the images and experiences to which we're exposed. So not even that can be trusted. It's a good job we've got the Bible. And the Bible's quite clear. Despite all of our knowledge and ability, even with the power of the Holy Spirit, this side of heaven, our understanding will remain incomplete. And on the other side of heaven, 
all of the knowledge and wisdom we've got now is going to be useless anyway. So how do we manage the confusion we inevitably experience in life? How do we interpret the confusing images we see? Well, perhaps the first step is by recognizing that this is normal. God understands. He knows that we struggle to make sense of things. He knows us and loves us just the same. But he doesn't want us to be ignorant of the fact that there are things that are going to uh, remain that way for a while, but in the future there's hope that they'll become clear. And he wants us to know that it will become clear, that there's some clarity ahead of us. And we know that because we've just read it. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Great words of hope, aren't they? Those are words I'm really glad are in the Bible. So should we then just become passive and accept that confusion is inevitable and we don't need to try at all to make sense of what hap what's happening to us in our world? Well, not at all. Even if that were a an option that we wanted to pursue, actually it's not possible. Because like Alice, life has a way of drawing you into its distorted perception of reality. We easily fall through the looking glass and become immersed in a world which is based more on dreams, fantasy, and image than it is reality. If we look at the verse which precedes the one we've just read, it said, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Have a think for a minute. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a doctor on a submarine. That one didn't work out. Not entirely sure why either. And it may be that you've got some similar kind of ideas. Did you become exactly what you imagined you would be? Or did your dream change shape? Or perhaps you did exactly what you dreamt of doing, but when it came reality, it was less satisfying than you imagined. That's often true, isn't it? When I was at school doing O-level physics, I found the concept of where the image is formed in a mirror the most confusing and frustrating thing ever. It's taken me a long time to get over my teacher's disappointment with my lack of intellect in grasping what he felt was a very simple concept. So as part of my growth and transition and recovery from my childhood trauma, um, I thought I'd try and give it a go and explain part of it to you this morning. Now, this is particularly risky, as I know that there are lots of people in this room who know this theory sim very straightforwardly and simply inside out and will be wanting to correct me a bit later, maybe. But if I'm wrong, can I just say, smile at me and be kind and tell me later? Okay. <laughs> so, the image is formed in a plain mirror. That's like the one here. In other words, it's not curved. The image is formed and... It provides what we call a virtual image. Now, this is where I get confused, because I look at it and I think, no, this is an actual image. This, this is what I look like. What you see is what you get. But actually, the location of the image is not in the surface of the glass. It's in the space where all the light appears to diverge from. Oh, I'm glad some of you are looking as confused as I've always been about this issue. In other words, 
According to the law of physics, it's formed in locations where light does not actually reach. If you need any more explanation than that, you'll have to find one of the clever bods in the congregation to help you. They'll be the ones lining up to speak to me afterwards to help me to understand it better. But the point here is not that you should be able to explain the way an image is created, but to be aware that any number of images can be created that appear real but are in fact virtual formed by human perception in places where the light might not actually reach. If you think about our society today here in the UK, you can easily see how image dominates. Human worth is measured against the three core values of our society, physical beauty, intellect and youth. If you're not classically beautiful, although I'm not entirely sure who defines that today, um, or you're of only average intelligence or below average intelligence, don't even get me started on that one because you'll have a real fight on your hands, or you're perhaps uh, starting to show your age a little bit and you've got a few wrinkles and society thinks that you're perhaps not as productive as you used to be, then you're considered to be somehow less than. Less than, presumably, the others who have these things who are able to demonstrate these characteristics. But the truth is, we are all unique, and only a very few of us meet this strict criteria of the world's acceptability. The Bible talks about not being conformed to the image of this world, but being transformed into the image of Jesus. It's not about the external. It's all about what's going on inside. Remember what Alona talked about last week? It's often about the stuff that's being worked out in the darkness, where no one can see. So perhaps the question today really is, who or what is shaping your image? And in the story, Alice had some real difficulties uh, in Wonderland, the land of her imagination. And often they were relating to her size. And this made me think of some of the difficulties that we have with our own image. Again, very often when we look in the mirror, we look at some aspect of our bodies and we think, oh, that's too big, or, oh, that's too small. But actually, it's not what's on the outside that counts, is it? It's about what's on the inside. Let's have a think together about one of Alice's issues that she faced there. She was too big, too big. And uh, she couldn't get through the door. It was slightly before the clip that you saw. But Alice discovered she wanted to get in this tiny little door that there was the way into this beautiful land. But she couldn't get through there because she, she was just too big. So she had to shrink. And fortunately for, for Alice, there was a handy bottle from which she could take a convenient swig. But of course, this is just a story. So how does this relate to the Bible at all? How does this connect to anything that we're wondering about? Well, let's just have a think about some Bible verses that talk to us about times when perhaps we might be too big. If we start with John 3, verse 40. This is John the Baptist speaking of Jesus, and he said, He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. Matthew 20, verse 26 this is Jesus talking to his disciples about a different way of living. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Have to be smaller. 
And of course, Jesus himself set us the perfect example. It says in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8, and this is from the message. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantage of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. In other words, the Son of God shrank himself down into the form of a human, a baby at that, and allowed himself to become small. If ever there was a message that was countercultural today, it's that we need to become less in order to become more. We talk of me time, the fact that we're worth it. We're told we have the right to be exceptional. We shouldn't need to experience pain or grow old. We live in an I culture where life revolves around my development, my fulfillment, my wants and my needs. It's really easy to get an overinflated sense of ourselves and our own importance. Perhaps we need to read some verses which will provide us with the equivalent of Alice's shrinking potion. And I've got them right here. Romans 12, verses 1 to 3. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done to you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. They will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect, because of the privilege and authority God has given me. I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. You know, confidence and assertiveness are great qualities in God's hands when we're in the process of becoming transformed into his image. But when they're simply following the messages communicated, often through the use of images that relate to our own culture, all we do is create virtual images of ourselves. It might look good, but remember, virtual images originate in areas where light doesn't reach. We need the light of God to help us to honestly evaluate ourselves, don't we? So what's the opposite problem? Well, sometimes we're too small. And Alice had this, didn't she? Just too small. She thought she was too big, then she became small, then she was too small and had to get big again. And, you know, sometimes that's exa exactly the same for us. And if you noticed in that clip, the key to the door which led Alice into the beautiful garden was left on the table when she became small. She couldn't reach it. And then she was actually just as trapped as when she was small as she was trapped when she was big. And in the story, Alice drinks the potion which makes her small. And it got me to thinking about what kind of unhelpful things happen to us which lead us to become small. And like the potion, it can often be, often be things that leave a bitter taste. Unkind comments from others, criticism, failure, disappointment, envy at the successes of others. 
they're just some of the things, some of the ways we respond to our situations and experiences and circumstances which can cause us to shrink and become small. Maybe we haven't been encouraged, haven't found our own uniqueness in God, failed or been told a lie so powerful that we swallowed it as though it were the truth. What does the Bible say? Matthew 5 verse 14. You are the light of the world. That's not a small thing, is it? Ephesians 2 verses 5, 6 and leading on to 10. By God's grace you have been saved. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. For we are God's masterpiece. Making yourself small is good. If you have the key to why you're doing it, for whom and for what purpose. But too many of us find ourselves simply small. We've forgotten to bring the key with us. We have to remember who we are, who our Father is, the fact that we are united with Christ and God's image. And his purpose for us is that we should be the hope of the world. Trouble is, we don't often feel like it. We can only rise to the challenge if we face reality with the right perspective and the true light source. In other words, the key. The older I get, the more aware I become of the fact that I have often in my life played really small. I'm naturally quite shy and an introvert, and that it's easy when you're introverted to play small because you can hide very easily. But the older I get, the more I've become aware of the fact that it happens too much. I need to stop. I need to stop acting like a child, put away childish things, and be a grown-up for the sake of the kingdom. What about you? When was the last time you took a risk, took responsibility for something big, stepped up to the challenge? I'm just going to read some really famous words, which I know you'll have heard very often, but I love them so much. I remember when Josh was growing up, I actually stuck them to his wardrobe door. I'm not sure he ever read them, but I'm going to read them again because I just think they're so important. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people will not feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I love those words. Maybe you need to stick those on your wardrobe door or wherever you look in the mornings. So what does this mean for us? Where am I going with this? Isn't that just even more confusing? Haven't I now just told you that we need to be big and we need to be small? Well, the answer, of course, depends on our circumstances and in what respect. Alice's first experience of shrinking and growing was in the first book, Alice in Wonderland. 
And when she returned through the looking glass, she had another similar experience. When she eventually found her way into the garden this time, Alice met a caterpillar who showed her a mushroom, which, depending on which side you ate from, made her grow or shrink. But here's the important bit. She had to break off what she needed and was given the responsibility to choose which she ate and when. Now, please hear me right. I'm not comparing God or the Holy Spirit to a caterpillar. Okay? That is just a story. But that's a useful thing to think about, isn't it? Putting away childish things involves taking responsibility for ourselves. And children master new skills by practicing, being determined to learn. Have you ever looked at someone and thought, they are so gifted by God, so talented, I wish I could be like them? I know I have, but often what we're looking at isn't the real image. We don't recognize that actually they've been transformed by being close to the Holy Spirit, by carrying the light. And it's the same spirit within each of us. God has given us all gifts and ability. And a bit like Alice and the mushroom, it's up to us to learn how to use them. It would be frightening if you looked in the mirror and saw somebody else's face looking back, wouldn't it? That would be the stuff of horror movies. Even if you thought it was a better face, it would be a bit frightening. We have to learn to undergo our own unique transformation to make us more like Jesus. Learning to work in partnership with him, using the keys we've been given and using some grit and determination to get us through. The famous philosopher Nietzsche wrote, with everything perfect we do, do not ask how it came to be. Instead, we rejoice in the present fact as though it came out of magic. No one can see in the work of the artist how it became. That is its advantage. For whenever one can see the act of becoming, one grows somewhat cool. Fancy words, but in other words, what he's saying is we all love the end product, but we prefer not to see the process of it becoming, much less engage in that process. And you know, even as I was preparing this talk today, God's been challenging me to grow up, to get a little bit bigger about some things. And sometimes I have to have a talking to myself in my head. I have to talk to myself. Do you do that? Sometimes I have to say to myself, and I actually found myself saying while I was writing this, Alison, you're nearly 50. Come on, it's time. You'll never be more grown up than you are now. Just get on with it. <laughs> but for you today, I wonder which side of the mushroom have you been eating from? Have you become too big? No longer aware of any areas in your life that need challenge? Or have you been shrinking? Unaware of the, hope, the fact that you are God's hope for the world. Maybe you've become really confused by the images you see every day and you've just lost sight of God in it all. Well, perhaps it's time to trust God again. And there's a great verse I'm just going to read here. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. We do have a firm foundation. We're going to just spend some time uh, taking communion together.
in a few minutes' time. Um, if the servers would like to help us with that, that would be great. And I want to give you some time to reflect and engage with God. So the servers are going to come and serve you with the bread and the juice. But what I'd like you to do is to just hold on for it, onto it for a moment because I want you to think about some things as we just go through this process together. So as they serve you, we're just going to have some music playing quietly. If you can just take the bread, take the juice and just hold on to it for a few minutes. And you know, Jesus told us to remember by taking communion. Why? Because we forget because we lose perspective, because we look in a mirror and forget what our face looks like, because the world and our experiences distort the image. We forget that we're children of God. And remember, this act of communion is an act that celebrates possibly the best ever um, example of greatness and smallness that there has ever been. Jesus, the Son of God, became small, a human being. He shrank himself right down so he could not only go through the door, but actually so that he could become the door, the door for us. But God raised him up, raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. So as we eat and drink today, just take a moment just to think before we eat and drink and ask yourself a question. Do I need to get smaller in some part of my life? Jesus did. Maybe I need to back down, decrease, step aside, relax. need to go bigger in some part of my life. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, in me. Well, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Is it time to stop playing small, to let yourselves grow? Ask God to help you right now. Just have a think about this, to bring something to mind. story of Alice but the reality Jesus sees in us you are beautiful and he wants you to grow and growth may, may mean shrinking confusing I know it may mean shrinking or it might mean actually growing but spiritually we need to do it don't we for his sake Let's
drink the juice. Thanking God for all he has done and is yet to do in our lives. And now as we face our world with all the distortion and illusion, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. And remember, one day we'll see him face to face. Until then, we're going to trust in his grace. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for your word to us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, for Jesus who shrank and who rose again, who became small and yet is so amazingly big. God, thank you for the Holy Spirit who again is within us and causes us to be transformed, to become the image of your Son. Lord, help us to work these things out. I pray in our confusing world, help us to work these truths out. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.